you need to price the future in, right? We, we invest for the long term. We have the future priced in. 1% of global AOM is invested in this way. I would love everybody to at least explore, make a start, acknowledge the power of your money, acknowledge the power of your investment for change, get information, talk to your advisors, talk to people, start small, start cautious, but get on with it. Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Daniela Barone Soares, Chief Executive Officer of Snowball Impact Investments. Today, quite simply, we're going to be talking about impact investing and how to quantify returns and how to allocate your resources and how to find a pipeline of really interesting investments. And we're going to showcase a key case study on this as well. And we're going to find out that uh, there's a lot to be said for showcasing the impact you're creating and being quite rigorous about how you're measuring that impact and encouraging others to go ahead for that journey, embrace those sort of impact measurements and being self-assured that uh, that transforming the world can be done in a sustainable way that doesn't jeopardize your returns on investments and can have great impact in the process as well. So without further ado, Daniela, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to see you again. You're the uh, Chief Executive Officer of Snowball Impact Investments. What's Snowball all about? Well... Snowball was created because finance is not working to be prosperity for people and, and the, the vitality for our planet. So it kind of was a, an opportunity to do better investing. And in that sense, you know, financial system is on the main, you know, is outsourcing to governments, uh, you know, the, the, the welfare of people and the planet. And it kind of operates in a vacuum as if those issues were not one, none of their concern. And I think, what we believe, and well, every investment has an impact. And the fact that it might not be accounted for doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So what Snowball is all about is creating a product and an organization that is designed to model behaviors we would like to see financial markets adopt. So um, we have a product. So let's talk, tell you a little bit about the product. The product is very competitive from a financial returns perspective. It's easy to invest. It has a measurable positive impact. We are super diversified. It's a global multi-asset fund of funds. We have 1,400 impact companies. So we can mitigate downside risks and give investors competitive returns. Uh, we invest in things like the circular economy, food and ag tech, education, social housing, sustainable forestry, and a whole variety of funds and companies. But what it is special about them is that they're all very focused, mission-driven businesses that are solving profitably some of the biggest environmental and social issues that we face. So ultimately, we are investing in companies that are the future. And so the impact and the business case are there together. So that's the product. The organization is important as well, because I think that's quite a distinction. And, and uh, especially as there are more and more impact products on the market. Having an impact product doesn't mean you have an impactful organization. 
So Snowball was designed also to be, you know, the change that we'd like to see. So I'll mention three elements to, to, to illustrate what I mean. Um, one, we're owned by nonprofit entities. So our shareholders are nonprofit, which means that our mission of, of providing financial returns at par with impact is enshrined into our legal documents. And that, that also, you know, meant that we got the award as the top 5% B Corps globally for governance. I saw that. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the other thing that is important to mention is we have a non-extractive fee and profit model. So what does that mean in practice? It means that as the fund grows, as we cover our costs, we will progressively decrease the fees. So the, the, the benefits of that growth, of that scaling, go back to investors rather than to us, the, the fund manager. So I won't, I won't be buying a Ferrari as a result of this. Um, uh, and, and I would say thirdly, we are one of the most diverse investment companies in the sector in terms of gender, ethnicity, and social background representation at the very high levels of the organization. So I guess, you know, Snowball is about believing the investment sector could and should do better at considering its impact. Uh, having a model that is designed to look and model how better investing looks like, and then a great product in practice uh, for investors. And you touch on the diversity piece. You're originally from Brazil, yes. as I remember very much. Yeah. When we first met a long time ago. That's right. And also your background itself, it's not that you're just showing up here out of thin air. You have a Harvard MBA, and you've been involved in both the commercial and nonprofit space in a very substantive way on both fields. I remember you're running the Impetus Trust, if, if right. my memory serves me, and you're a, a non-executive at Intercontinental Hotels, yeah. uh, straightforward for-profit entity with a lot of sort of sustainability angles behind it. How did you get into Snowball? Um, give us a little bit of, of, of a taste and understanding of how Snowball came about. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think sort of, as you mentioned, I, I've always had this passion to create something that would bring more, you know, equitable justice, you know, that allows people and planet to flourish. And my background, as you said, growing up in Brazil has a lot to do with this because poverty is very visible in Brazil in a way that in the UK is not so much. And, um, and from a very early age, I started to engage with that, to volunteer, to, to try to, to understand, you know, those dynamics. When I was entering the workforce, I didn't really have, I didn't find a path to direct my career to impact. And actually back then, you didn't have as many options as you have today, you know, which is a, which is a great sign. Uh, I started in mainstream banking and private equity, and then I moved to the nonprofit sector, dealing with poverty and education. And then Snowball came from, you know, combining this background and career in finance with the understanding of impact on the ground and um and sort of with snowball also i was looking for something that could scale and could meaningfully deliver impact and so i kind of felt that this is this is the right place for me to be and you know to your point i think it's it's priceless to be able to work uh aligned with your purpose uh i do uh believe that you know to to achieve impact 
is not, you know, something that is consigned to the nonprofit sector or to the gov or to government. I think you, we can do that in every sphere of our lives. And that's why I'm really fascinated by this, you know, the social sector, but also the commercial sector. I'm on, you know, I'm a, I'm a trustee of a, of a think tank that is very on the social, very much on the social sector. Uh, I am on the board of IHG, which is massive FTSE 50 company and, and then Snowball that kind of sits in between both. So I, I'm fascinated by this and, and I do feel this important that at every level, we are trying to improve the system that perpetuates this inequality or this extraction of of our planet's uh, resources. It's interesting because your career and your and your drive for for that that path uh, forward to have an impact and, and combines both the for profit and not for profit. That's also a reflection of what impact investing is all about: bringing these two sides and and hopefully distilling the very best of both. Uh, the sense of urgency of the not-for-profit space, perhaps, and the more um, quantifiable rigor of the private space. It's not, not, not always easy to combine both of these. In terms of the your understanding of how the general public and, and those investors understand what impact investing is all about, how much do you feel people are educated these days versus still there being a need for uh, helping helping those with those resources understand not just the value of what impact investing is, but actually what it actually is. Yeah, I think there's still some confusion because, you know, people commingle all these terms of sustainable ESG impact and, and all of those things. And I think, I think in the main, one thing that I still find kind, kind of funny is that some, sometimes there is a perception that, uh, you know, that people think that impact investing is idealistic or, or naive. And, and it's quite the opposite. It really is good business, right? So investors and, and asset managers that actually think about impact are the ones that are engaging with the real world and are seeing, you know, the climate catastrophe that is unfolding in front of our very eyes and the social inequality that needs to be addressed. So, you know, looking at investment as much more than just numbers in a spreadsheet, but the real things that affect real people uh, in life. And, and I think idealists are the ones that are clinging to this abstract, you know, pure conception of investment as a financial activity separate from the rest of the world. And I do think that notion is still prevalent, which is, I find it bizarre, uh, given that there is so much information about, you know, uh, about not just the climate, but the social emergency. And we're seeing around us, right? There's war, there's famine, there's, uh, it, it's not, it's so, you know, we need to do better, really. Um, so I think that still is there. I think the sort of, um, the, the sort of ESG and investment and sustainability and invest, impact investing, I would say in short that impact investing is needed because it has, you know, models that are intentional to create impact. They want to create additional positive impact, which, you know, is stuff that otherwise would not occur, uh, and is measurable. And sustainability and ESG just don't go far enough. Uh, and so I, I do think there's still confusion on that. This, um, you know, you, you read about this spectrum of, on the one hand, you know, pure social return and that's it with zero financial angle. Others, which is the other end, you know, those uh, 
risk-adjusted rates of return that you would expect in the market, and, and then things in the middle. The folks with whom you're speaking, what do they normally say to you? Do they say, look, happy to come in and, and, and invest, but only if it's a it's you know risk-adjusted rate of return, happy to go with some sort of concessionary angle, perhaps? What's the appetite How, and, and the sentiment? I mean, it's interesting that there is appetite for everything, but Snowball was created with a particular aim, right? So Snowball was created to be, and the product was developed to be sort of that kind of protecting the downside, you know, giving people real returns that are competitive, risk-adjusted returns, competitive with market returns and impact. Because we do believe that there is a, a, a disproportionate opportunity where people are still not seeing it on some of those impact businesses that are solving those issues. It's kind of like what good business is all about, right? So, so that's the kind of, that's where we see the opportunity. Um, <clears throat> so that's our proposition. And, and I think that people are looking for that. I think this is the kind of thing that can scale because if you are, um, you know, a little bit concessionary or delivering, you know, below returns, not that this is not important. It is. And there are, you know, there's a need for that and there is a, a part of the market for that. But that is much harder to become mainstream and scale, which is something that is part of what we want to, to do. And so for us, it's really clear that we're trying to get, you know, risk, return and impact at par in balance uh, in that sense, in a competitive, in a competitive way with with traditional markets, but with but better. That's yes. the idea. <laughs> That's the idea. And the team that you have, wh what does that team look like? And I guess a, a key question that I have percolating in my head is whether it's more challenging to find really good investment opportunities that are aligned with the things that you're referencing here. Um, and I'm wondering, is it difficult to get talent who perhaps are just used to normal, straightforward investing? And now you're saying, actually, yes, but... These are the parameters. You know, it's so interesting. There is such a demand uh, from talent to to come and and work in impact. So we're finding incredible talent. I mean, you know, the team. Knock on wood. I mean, I want this team to stay there. <laughs> it's an amazing team that 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 we have at Snowball, and mostly we're recruiting people that come. You know sometimes already with some impact experience because this market is not as fresh new as, as as it used to be but also people that come from traditional mainstream markets and that want to do something different and it's we have quite a quite a sort of developed impact practice at snowball uh with frameworks and and, and everything so it's not very hard to sort of induct people that are coming from from the market in into that uh, I think sort of, uh, you know, so from, from a talent perspective, this is, this is clear. I think from a pipeline perspective, which is really interesting. When we started, uh, seven years ago, this was different. And I think it changed a lot. We have a lot more, uh, funds and impact, uh, products in the market than we had before and with good quality as well. Of course, there's a lot of greenwashing and, and things like that, but there is really good, uh, alternatives and, and investment options because we are, you know, multi theme and global. We really have the luxury of 
you know, of selecting and probably is, is helpful if I tell you how we, how we think about and selecting the investments. Um, the way that we do it. So we're, we're long-term investors. Uh, we high conviction investors. We do quite a bit of research before we, we make any investment. And the way that we usually do it is <clears throat> we first look at key trends and needs. So to give you a concrete example, so research by the WWF and then PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, some time ago shown that our present food production system is incapable to provide protein for 10 billion people by 2050. Uh, if we continue with the current production, the greenhouse uh, gas emissions will be dramatic. And so environmentally thinking, this is, this is a crisis about to happen. Uh, and so we look at those trends. What are the solutions? So we still don't eat insects, <laughs> but fish is the least harmful to produce. Uh, and to avoid overfishing in our oceans means that where we will look, uh, to invest will be something like sustainable aquaculture, right? So we do the theme, the trend, we get to that. Then we look at the type of asset to invest within our portfolio allocation strategy. So in this aquaculture case, we look for private equity aquaculture funds globally. We found 20 contenders. We diligenced five. We did a deeper dive on two. We invested in one. This whole process took months. Uh, and the one we invested in had a real systemic approach to aquaculture, was looking to both, which is really important for us, looking both the social and the environmental aspects of that value chain. And, and they could demonstrate the intentionality of their impact, right? And, and had the processes and systems to manage the impact, uh, had a view about how do we improve the value chain, had an impact risk process in place as well, and demonstrated the ability to select and invest in financially attractive business, right? So that all has to be together. And within that one, uh, I'll give you the example because I think it will bring it to life. The largest holding in our portfolio is a company within the aquaculture fund and it's called eFishery. And eFishery is a great story of, a, of an impact uh, unicorn. So they are valued above a billion, a billion pounds or a billion dollars. Um, they are a company in Indonesia. They provide smart fish feeders for the sustainable aquaculture industry. And in Indonesia, we're talking about 3 million small aquaculture farmers. This is not massive plants or, or, or anything like that. These are very small, very small fishermen that have those, those little aquaculture farms. So this smart feeder goes into the water and it has a dispenser attached to it. It's, it's incredible. It detects when the fish is hungry and it dispenses food when the fish is hungry, according to how the fish moves. Uh, and if fishery, it, as a result of that, uh, there is 24% less unnecessary fish feed in the ocean. So that's an environmental benefit. But the social benefit is gigantic because the, the cost of food is about 50% of the total farming costs for those fishermen. And the ability that they can save about 30% of those costs mean straight away that the farmers can put their children to the school or they can have better quality of life in, in whatever way they choose. So that's a, that's a quite a dramatic impact, uh, from a social and environmental perspective. 
And this is an example of a company that is in our sweet spot because uh, it is in lockstep. You know, as it increases its profits, its impact also increases and vice versa. So now that they are bigger um, and they are expanding, they are helping farmers to procure the fish food as a cooperative, ensuring they have even better, you know, uh, terms and better costs uh, in doing that. So that's a that's a great example and shows you the, the entire value chain from beginning to end of our investment process. Fascinating. And it's great you brought that example because it does bring things to life. Question for you. I always think, you know, on the impact investing side, there's these measurement challenges and conveying what that measurement actually looks like. And so you've given me a little bit of that overview and I can sort of think, yes, okay, I, I get it. I'm wondering, how do you speak to um, a broader investment base and sort of put it in a black and white number, if you could, saying this is the social impact, this is the financial return. Can you do that? Or, or is it necessarily more analogous to a sort of private equity thing where you got to sit down the investor and say, look, I'm going to walk through this. It's not just a buy or sell thing on Bloomberg. Actually, you got you to sit down and understand what we're doing. It is really interesting. I mean, you know, there is, this is a super important point because impact investing uh, needs to be measured, right? And, and we try to apply to it the same rigor as financial measurement. However, it's, it's harder to aggregate you know, uh, and to group things into impact. It's very easy for me to tell you the impact of a fishery because we know what the fundamental drivers of that business are. We know the fundamental areas where we need to see impact. We can track that over time and we can measure that. So that is a much easier thing. When you're trying to aggregate over the portfolio, That's that becomes a, a bigger challenge. And we try to be very thoughtful about this uh, in terms of uh, making sure that we're not duplicating numbers, that we're not double counting, that we're not, you know, aggregating uh, things in, in, in a way that makes them become meaningless, especially on the social front. It's quite different to say, well, we, you know, I cannot just say, well, many lives touched. For this fisherman, for example, that I just mentioned and, and the improvement in his quality of life. Or a kid that that we were able to one of our education investments just go through school, right in Africa. So it, you, it's it's such a disparate. Those those outcomes are not the same. So aggregation is tricky. Uh, but what we try to do is to uh, first of all we use standardized frameworks, which is super important. Uh, we use the framework of the impact management project, which is becoming more of the standard. Within that, we developed a whole uh, series of, of ratings and rankings and about 150 criteria that we use to evaluate the impact at the company level and at the fund manager level. So there is both that we look into that. And then what we do to communicate the portfolio is we look at the impact intensity of the whole portfolio. So we take this enterprise impact of all those different companies within a fund, and then the impact of the fund manager, we aggregate those and we plot it in a number in a bullseye score, where the center of the bullseye is as high an impact as you possibly can have, right? It's super measurable, it is deep, it, con it concerns all the stakeholders, is a solution that otherwise would not be available, for a community that is in need. So it's a really, really, you know, 
top-notch impact at the center of the bullseye. And by plotting the portfolio in that bullseye, it allows investors to, to challenge and query and kind of have a sense of aggregation by the intensity of impact uh, and ability to also query us about, oh, so why is this investment a three, not a four? And when you get to that, you say, well, but asset classes also make a difference, right? A private invest investor can be much more additional than a public equities investor, for example. So it, it is kind of having enabling with your the way that you report to be an enabler for the investors to query, to understand, and to deepen their understanding of impact and how the portfolio is doing and be able to monitor how it's doing as well. Fascinating, really fascinating. Are you finding that others are using similar approach to showcasing that impact side of their of their portfolio? Uh, is it something that Snowball can um, can educate others who who are looking to you know they might eventually be rivals of yours? Who knows? But it's in some ways so it can also look at this as a public good. No, and and to be honest, this is a great point you're bringing up because look. Only 1% of global assets under management are invested for impact. So we're not competing with other impact <laughs> investors. We're trying to get money that is, that is still not caring, let's say, about this to, to come into impact. So part of what we do at Snowball is how do we help build the ecosystem of impact? So we participate on several initiatives like Impact Frontiers. We participate with the ecosystem we share. All our impact uh, reports are public in our website. So we talk about how we measure the enterprise impact. We talk about the methodology we use to measure the fund manager impact. And we did something really innovative that, that I'm very proud of. Because we were measuring other people and we had very rigorous criteria and everything else, we, we actually then decided to say, well, hang on, how do we know we are doing, you know, good, you know, so we, we, we got an independent assessment, uh, company called the good economy to look at our impact, uh, and where it was good, where it was not. And the, and this was like for us to, to learn and improve our own processes. But, uh, we then decided to publish it. Uh, and so far we are the only asset manager that published the findings of the report in full. People published some summaries of it and, and, and we decided to publish in full, partly because, again, as part of this modeling behavior, we want both the impact ecosystem that is not perfect. You know, we're still learning, we're still growing, we're still developing those methodologies, but it is really important that we share. And it's really important that we, we, we tell investors, you know, where we are at so that they are able to query, they are able to learn. And it was interesting as well that, you know, for us, it was a matter of we, we say as part of our values that we're transparent, we're accountable. So when we, when we said, well, hang on, we published the other two impact reports. We have to publish this one if we're true to our values, right? And it was quite a scary moment, uh, because it is kind of a little bit opening the kimono, right? And everybody seeing to that, but it was so positive. I think, uh, in terms of, investor confidence. It was really positive with the, the ecosystem. We got uh, Rockefeller, Bluemark, uh, Wellington to do webinars on the back of that because they were like, okay, we want to understand like what led you to do this? Because the financial industry, you know, they, 
they only ask why. You know, you don't, why should we publish something unless it's a requirement? Why should we disclose unless we're forced to disclose? Whereas we're trying to ask, why not? You know, this is a relatively new market. Why not disclose more? Why not enable the investor to see more? Why not enable your competitors or others in the ecosystem to really benefit from the learnings that you have from your operations? So that's kind of where, uh, where we kind of uh, see ourselves as, as part of building the ecosystem as well. I absolutely love the attitude. That's, that's a great attitude to embrace. In terms, you, you mentioned seven years in terms of where you've been uh, with Snowball. What about the next seven years, which actually is a perfect segue into the SDGs in 2030. Uh-huh. Um, where do you see success for, for Snowball uh, in 2030? That's a great question. So I see two things. One of our, of our goals that we talk about is that impact investing needs to become mainstream. And part of that is that it needs to cease to be the preserve of the wealthy. Uh, so we need to democratize, properly democratize impact investing. It needs to be in pension funds. It needs to be people putting their ISAs in it, their SIPs, you know, being able to invest with their values, with transparency, with accountability, with understanding. And so for me, that is the dream that, that we are able to kind of, uh, get this offering to, you know, to the public as a whole and that everybody has the opportunity to, to, to invest in this way. And I think the more we demonstrate that it's possible to, to get really good returns and impact, I think this is going to increase more and more. Uh, my only fear is that I hope it happens, you know, fast enough. Uh, and I don't mean just for Snowball, I mean for the world, right? Because kind of thinking the size of the problems we need to solve, we need to change this financial system that perpetuates the the issues by the way it funds things. But that is, I would say, that is the that is the dream. And I think you know, uh, if if this happens for us, I think we would be you know, hopefully again being that role model, and other snowballs will will come to fruition, and you know, and hopefully we'll we'll be in in our on our way to to the SDGs. I mean. Fingers crossed. It's it depends on on lots and lots of things. So yeah, yeah. Now before you run off, what's that key takeaway you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? Well, actually, one of the questions that that you asked makes me made me think differently about this. Uh, it's really interesting that you know. So when I think about the only one percent of global assets under management are invested in this way. Whereas from where I stand, we can't invest in any other way any longer. Uh, this year, uh, both Chatham House and the Financial Times published reports on how traditional portfolios are underpricing the risks, environmental and social risks. And, and this can create a huge shock when the values of those assets are repriced properly and it will cause big losses for many people's investments. But the, 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 the problem with this, not only this is a problem, but the problem with this underpricing is that it, um, it makes, it, it, it leads to a misallocation of capital, right? So if you, if you say that an asset has a lower risk or a higher return than it actually is, it, it leads people to, to allocate more capital to that asset. And not only this asset is not 
contributing to the solution, it delays the adaptation and transition that we need desperately. So portfolios like Snowball mitigate for those risks and offer sort of the opportunity for investors to invest with their values. And I think what I want as a key takeaway for people is like, look, there is, you need to price the future in, right? We, we invest for the long term, we have the future priced in, 1% of global AUM is invested in this way. I would love everybody to at least explore, make a start, acknowledge the power of your money, acknowledge the power of your investment for change, get information, talk to your advisors, talk to people, start small, start cautious, but get on with it. That would be my, <laughs> my takeaway call to action. I love it. I love it. Couldn't finish on a higher note. I couldn't finish on a more positive note. So Daniela, thank you so very much for joining us and joining me on the Do One Better podcast. And it's an absolute pleasure seeing you again. Thank you so much, Alberto. It was a great pleasure to be here. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Daniela Barone Soares, the Chief Executive Officer of Snowball Impact Investments. For information about this conversation and more than 200 other episodes and interviews with remarkable thought leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at lidji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find this show as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thoroughly enjoy producing today's episode for you. And I'll catch you this coming Monday.